to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome to the Built on Air podcast. We are back with episode five of season 14. Good to be with you, myself, Dan Fellers and Camille Parks, our host back with you. And we have two new faces with us. We've got Chris Talley and Stephen Zong or Zang. Zong. Zong. All right. Welcome. We will get to hear uh, their stories. I'm going to remove our banners so we can see our faces. <clears throat> and uh, we'll get to hear their stories a little bit, but we will go through, I'll walk through what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the Built on Air podcast is always a four segment um, show about an hour long where we will get you up to speed on everything Airtable. We always start with our round the bases to talk about Anything new in the communities involving Airtable, then a quick spotlight on OntoAir, our primary sponsor. Then we'll meet the creators, Chris and Steven, and learn their stories and uh, how they're involved in the world of Airtable. Then they will walk us through a demo of um, calendar syncing of some cool stuff that they've got going on. And then a quick shout out to our community, how you can join and then finally, Camille will walk us through automations and looping and repeating the repeating functionality and automations. So with that, we'll go through around the bases. A um, couple shout outs. The first thing next week is Daretable. So in San Francisco, um, I don't know if there's any spots left. There might have been a few spots left, but uh Excited to see everybody there. We're going to do a show from there. So we won't be doing our show next Tuesday. So next week, we're going to do it live at the Dare Table. We'll try to get um, people on and, and talk about what's going on at the Dare Table conference. So look forward to that. That will likely be on either when, likely Wednesday. I think we're going to try to do it Wednesday. Uh, if not, then Thursday. It's a two-day event next week at Air Table headquarters. So excited to be there. Chris or Steven, you, either of you going to be there? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think either one of us will be there this time. Okay. Uh, we'll get you next time. So that's the, the first thing. And then second thing, 
Our friend Gareth at uh, Gap Consulting put out a video. Camille, what do you know about this video? So um, sometime last year, uh, I helped uh, at Gap to build a system that uses um, Airtable and Stripe, and in some cases also Calendly, all sort of integrated together to auto invoice and auto bill um, clients when a new record in Airtable is either created or marked as invoiceable or something of that effect. And then Gareth just recently put out a video that explains that process. So, you know, highly recommend checking it out. It's a um, an interesting process. It involves using uh, Make as opposed to Zapier to connect all of these different pieces together. But, you know, uh, fun build and useful for a lot of different businesses. Um, I think Stripe has a pretty beginner-friendly API. So if you're looking for a good API to sort of uh, dip your dip your toe in and um, don't mind working with money, use Stripe. Or you could use their test account. So no real-world money has to move, actually move anywhere if you just want to get the practice of working with APIs and connecting them to your table. Yep. Yeah, so a good video. Gareth always puts out really good tutorial videos, how-tos. Um, and so, yeah, this one Camille helped put together. So thought it was worth uh, giving a shout out there. Next one, here's a good one. Um, I first noticed this, I think Bill French posted this in the uh, Built On Air community. And then I saw it posted on Twitter, a couple other places. Um, uh, Co-founder Howie Liu talking about, you know, AI. This article, uh, I only read the article. There's a podcast where maybe he talks more, um, but just talking about, you know, how, how Airtable is thinking about AI. Um, so it gives a little bit of insights there. Um, so worth a read. some point, I'll go back and, and listen to the full podcast and see if there's any more insights but the main thing he talks about um, is at Airtable, they're thinking about how to weave AI into the go-to-market plan. Um, important thing, we're going to engage with customers and frame the value of our product because we actually can deliver a lot of value through AI on our platform rather than us just trying to add another tackle on AI. I think it's more uh, foundational. We're trying to be very clear and opinionated about our approach to AI. So that's how CEO Howie Liu is thinking about Airtable and AI. Good stuff there worth listening. I'd noticed, I feel like, um, I believe there's a, there's a summit for like the top customers of Airtable happening uh, maybe as we speak. I know it's this week. And um, so I think around these summits, they did one back in November, I believe, um, and they make a lot of announcements. So I would say be prepared for probably tomorrow for some big announcements coming. You can see how he starts to do kind of the, the press scene and, and get his name out there more around these conferences. So I think we'll be seeing some um, big, exciting announcements coming this week. So excited for that. All right. Next up, um, from the Built on Air community, <clears throat> uh, Hannah posts, um, what do you know about using Airtable that you wish you knew when starting out? And a couple comments here. Uh, Hannah says, linked records are life. Justin says it completely that it would completely change my life. 
bill says that the split formula would still not be implemented um not to agonize over the expensive pro license says kavan and then rebecca on a previous one said that it doesn't scale intuitively and that still holds and then i like um, john's i wish i knew how to explain to users how much the spreadsheets they have inherited created and use suck for data collection and analysis I feel that last one in my soul, actually. <laughs> a lot of what I do now is, is uh, helping teams move from whatever system they're currently using into an Airtable-based system. And a lot of times it's um, a traditional spreadsheet and the initial ask is, hey, can you do this in Airtable? And then it makes no sense to do it that way in Airtable. It makes perfect sense to do it that way as a, as a spreadsheet, but sort of getting around that we're going to we're going to tweak things slightly so that it's more performant and you know you got to become a bit of a salesman as you're uh doing some of this transition work but yeah um and also with each passing day i also want a split formula that'd be nice yep yep steven chris anything you know now that you wish you knew at the beginning um i think yeah i think the kind of uh, Camille's point is great that there's like a very much a relearning. Uh, it, it looks a lot like a spreadsheet uh, when you're starting out and it's very tempting to think of it as a spreadsheet. Uh, and if you haven't worked with like SQL databases before, then having that mental model shift, um, I think a lot, it's easy to fight against it, but man, once you actually accept it and realize how valuable having like typed columns is uh, and, and structured data instead of a spreadsheet, it is just like super, super powerful. Um, so I think, yeah, for people that we help get onto Airtable, that's probably like the number one thing is we're like, no, it's not quite a spreadsheet, but it's so much better. And I need to need to show you why. Cool. All right, next one. <clears throat> also from the Built On Air community. I think we know who posted this, Camille. So you were the first to point this out. Uh, yeah, so uh, experiencing, I've been building a lot of interfaces, practically every day I'm working in interfaces now, and then very suddenly um, on a form view I was creating, I could hide certain fields uh, based on condition. So I apologize for the quality of this screenshot. Um, I couldn't take it directly from that computer. But uh, some things that I liked about the feature was not only can um, you hide a whole field, you can force um, things like select fields to only present certain options, which I believe you can also do in a shareable form view, but you can also enforce a default value. And when you do that, you can say, you know, basically force that uh, whoever's filling it in to use only that default value. So you can disable the form field so they can't change it from whatever you said is the default. So that's very useful for making sure when a new record is created, certain, you know, utility fields, if you will, uh, come in with a value instead of blank or uh, with the correct value. If you have like a status field where the first one is under consideration, you don't want someone to go in and say, no, 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 it's complete. It's not. So uh, that I think is a well implemented uh, 
piece. I haven't used it on every possible field type yet, so I don't know how enforcing defaults work on certain fields. Not every field type normally has a, a default value that can set. It's single selects and numbers and currency and um, single line text can all have uh, default values. I haven't tested it on any of the others, but just something I noticed as I was working in interfaces. Yeah. So that's cool. Maybe though that might be part of their announcements coming this week, but they're rolling out a few features early. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, in, a per in a perfect world, I could have like, uh, when you drag and drop on the interface uh, designer, you, you create like rows of different fields or elements on a page, but you have to still move them individually if you want to move a row up and down. Ideally, it can preserve whatever container I've just made by putting a bunch of stuff next to each other. And then I can hide the whole container uh, conditionally. Uh, that would be great. And once that's in there, then you don't need multiple forms for different like access levels. You don't need one form for an editor and one form for, you know, a, a manager or something like that. You'd be able to have one form and just hide certain sections of the form based on whoever the current login user is. That's what I'm hoping they add eventually. Yeah, that would be cool. All right, let's move on. Okay, this is pretty cool. Ben, shout out to Ben Green. Um, so there, there's a well-known limit of 500 fields in a single table. And Ben shows a screenshot of 501 fields um, or hidden fields. So I think you got to 502. Yeah, this is updated. So we got to 502. So everybody's saying like, how did this happen? Um, you know, Mel mentions that she can only go up to 500. So everybody's like, oh, maybe they're increasing the, the field limit. Um, that's not the case. So Ben then does share his secret of how he did it. And once you read how he did it, you're like, okay, this is, this is a nice little hack. I don't think that this is uh, oh, something that you want to try to implement. I don't know if he was intentionally doing this or was just bored one day and was just playing around with a table of 500 fields. But basically what you have to do is you have to sync that table to another sync, uh, to another base. Um, and let's see. Um, I guess you have to have two tables with 500 each and then multi-sync them into a single one. And then that will then add an extra field to get to 501 because it always adds that extra sync source field. Um, and then I think you can then change that field type to something else. And then you can then do that again to another base to get to 502. So you have to like, take advantage of their multi-sync um, feature that adds that extra field, that sync source field to it to tell you like where it came from. And then you can then change the, the type of field. Um, so quite, quite the workaround. I don't know how he came across this or if this just happened to, to, to take place and he noticed it. Um, we'll have to get Ben on a future episode to, to share his secret there of how he came to this, but Kind of interesting. I don't. I don't think I would recommend this if you really need to get to 500. And Bill and Bill is always quick to point out that any 
table should not require that many fields. Um, but uh, yeah, so pretty, pretty nice little uh, hack going on with Ben. Uh, I'll, I'll just see uh, the, uh, oh, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, I'd love to see the support person's heart rate when he calls in with an issue and they go into the space <laughs> and, and see that. <laughs> yeah, Chris and I have both been on the other end of that, right? We were both engineers at Airtable. And I think one of the pretty interesting things about Airtable as a product is there's just so much complexity in code. So if you add a new feature, you're not just like adding 10 more you know, permutations, you're multiplying by 10 because now you have the existing feature set and you can combine it in any sort of way with the new feature set, right? So I'm sure this was just you know, one of those complexities. There's probably other like sort of oversights in the, in the product, but um, yeah, yep, just a little yep. background. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. I've got a lot of questions for the two of you when we dive into your background. <laughs> There's a, there was one thread on the um, uh, official Airtable community uh, forums where talking about the new released um, uh, color palette. And then I pointed out that for some reason, button fields can use every color except any of the teals. And I think that's just my, my funnest example of like just a minor oversight, but it's not, not really a feature. It's just for some reason you can have every color except teal. So sometimes there's actually a reason behind that. And I could talk more about like, you know, behind some of the features. I, I have to ago. know. I have to know. I don't know what it is in this case, color. but you could, probably, you could probably file a bug and uh, probably get a response. I will not rest until I can have teal everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I need to bring that in. I will bring that in over here. Let's talk about that now. Yeah, let's. Uh, so here it is, the teal. So here's the new color palette. So they, they added more colors. And then, of course, everybody's saying, that's great, but not enough. We need custom colors. <laughs> yeah, I think what happened was they, they had a very similar color palette with three of those four rows. And then they added a fourth, even darker color palette. And then they also adjusted some of the values to make them more um, uh, contrasting, I think, which I think is a good move from a UI perspective, especially if you have uh, visibility challenges, et cetera. But then there's... Like in my my response there is me just pointing out that you could have some of these colors somewhere and some of these colors somewhere else, including the mysterious lack of teal. And so it's just like, you know, every now and again, uh, looking through, you're like, oh, I wonder how, you know, why this feature that exists somewhere else doesn't make its way to this other thing. Like we were talking about forms and interface forms um, earlier in, in the show, like yeah, sometimes, it takes a while to build a feature that's compatible with the new shiny thing that has fresh new code base and whatnot. Colors I thought was odd just because, you know, hexadecimal values. Yeah. Yeah, so more colors, uh, that's always good. But yeah, consistency. They did say that they're hoping to consolidate and, and bring them all consistent. So hopefully they do that. Uh, okay, next one. Um, this one I thought was worth pointing out. So Carlston in the built-on air community talks about limitations of automation scripts versus scripts in the scripting app. Um, and actually, I, I didn't 
I this was new to me. I, I don't remember using values by linked record ID. Um, and so that's why I was like, oh, that's interesting. So this is only available in the scripting app. It's not available in the automation script. So that variable values by linked record ID. Um, and so you have to basically loop through to get that information. Then he says, Anyways, yeah, so there's more there. So I, mean, I, I forgot that was a function. Like, I don't know if I, I've probably used it once when I was first learning Irritable scripting environment and then never again because it just didn't come up. I, I'm going to guess it doesn't matter that he's not including the, you know, functional parentheses at the end of that. You know, I'm sure he's tried that. Is it a function or a variable? Uh, is it? See, I don't know. I don't know what this is. I never use it. I think I think it's like an array of the values. Yeah. Oh, well, that would be useful. Yeah. I wonder if it's something to do with because uh, automation scripts are not done. They're done on like the server and not on the your local machine. And so it's more taxing on the Airtable environment to pull presumably all field values, all 502 field values as we've just discovered as possible. Yeah. Um, Versus if it's on your local machine, you know, it's it's not taxing Airtable at all to just pull your um, memory to like grab all that data without being explicitly uh, queried for it. I'm going to guess that's why. Yeah. I don't know. It could just be an oversight too. <laughs> it could just be an oversight. Yeah. <laughs> see, I'm, I'm very 50-50. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I could see why that. You know, well, I, I do know that sometimes I'm like, records, uh, there's definitely like, some complexity here because you know I think that there's you can link up to uh, at least last year you could link up to as many linked records as there are rows in a base mm -hmm. um, so you could have a linked record with like you know fifty thousand hundred thousand or fifty thousand cells and it your base becomes unusable there so community probably sure. write something with performance uh, going yeah on probably looks like it could definitely be some performance consideration yeah. Yeah, so definitely worth. But yeah, in general, there are definitely some differences if you're writing scripting and automations versus the, the scripting apps. So you need to be aware of those. <clears throat> All right, one more. I want to get to, to Stephen and Chris. Um, okay, last one. This was uh, basically a known limitation. Or I, Jonathan's asking, is it a known limitation that when attempting to place a static filter on a list view interface... Um, the ones that take up the whole page, you can't filter based on a field that's not showing in the list. So in a, in a normal view, you can filter on any field, um, but apparently in a list view, I wasn't aware of this, um, that field that you filter on needs to be visible in the view. You can't hide it. Yeah, it's not clear. There's no like warning or, or pop-up that tells you this but if you you know run into an issue like why can't i filter by it then you would need to take a look at what fields you've exposed and whatever that view is i believe the same thing is true of grid view calendar and timeline are different in that there's only certain um 
what happens with calendar and timeline, right? You're showing a specific set of fields that may or may not be actually visible to the user because if the time is too short to contain all of the text that you've defined as a label for that record, you might not see it. And if you click on it, normally it will have that little pop-up that has every field that you've identified it as a label. Those are the ones that you can filter by. But if you turn off editing, but then you also turn on, you can open up this record into like a detail view, you bypass that little window. So effectively what you can do is say, here's all of these fields I want to show the user, when in reality you're using that as your filter basis and then the user actually never sees them. They only see them if you were to include them in a detail view, or if you just disable detail views at all, you, you'd never see them to begin with. It's a very odd explanation of, of that behavior, but that's what I've noticed. And I think, the re and I put it in my reply here, I think the reasoning behind not letting you filter by a field that isn't visible to the users because they wanted to remove the possibility of someone accidentally exposing um, certain uh, data that you haven't explicitly given that person uh, the rights to view. So it works differently than a shared view link, right? If you create a, a, a grid view and regular data view, and then you filter it some way and give it a share link, when they go to that share link, they don't know whatever filters are applied. They can add their own and take those away, but they can never see or know what the filters you've applied to that shared view. It works differently in interfaces where you have a default set of filters and then you can allow the user to create new filters on top of that, but they have to be within the same set of fields, or at least that's my understanding. Yep. Good, good uh, overview there. So yeah, let's uh, move on. So we got time for our other segments. Um, first, a quick shout out to Ontuair, our primary sponsor. It's an all-in-one toolkit to run your business on Airtable, suite of apps that help you do more with your Airtable. So if you're using Airtable to run your business, you need to check out ontuair.com and check out the suite of apps that we have. And for today... I've been holding on this announcement. It's taken a couple extra weeks, but this week we are, it's actually live now. We haven't fully announced it. It still says that it's um, closed for new registration, but I'll give the, the sneak peek here that it is actually live as of um, a few days ago, but we are launching and it's really a relaunch of our Onto Air Actions app, um, but we're relaunching it as Onto Air Docs and focusing primarily on our document creation. So what that means is creating all sorts of invoices, quotes, anything that you can create in Google Docs or Google Sheets or Google Slides and use those as a template for um, your documents. Ontoware Docs is the app for you. It allows you to create placeholders and dynamic uh, data that comes from Airtable automatically gets populated into your Google file, and then we'll automatically convert that into a PDF or even Microsoft Word or Microsoft PowerPoint, um, any kind of file that is compatible. And then we'll automatically save it back to Airtable as an attachment 
or whatnot. So that whole workflow of document creation, dynamically creating documents and saving them back into Airtable as an attachment um, is available in here. So you can sign up. It's onto our docs and start playing with it um, today. So we're excited to relaunch that as onto our docs. <clears throat> So in a future one, I'll go through and, and how you actually do that, but we won't do that today. Today, we're going to learn about Chris and Steven. We're excited to have the two of you on. Um, I think what we would do is, um, why don't you tell maybe your, your pre-Airtable life, and then now a little bit about your post-Airtable, and then I'm sure Camille and I have some questions about life at Airtable. Oh, yeah, I'll start. Uh, so actually, uh, my pre-Airtable life uh, started like quite a bit before I started working there. So I started working as a full-time software engineer 2014. My first company was Tableau. So I actually have a joke that I can only work at companies where Table is in his name because Table and Airtable, so the two companies I've worked at. And while I was there, like the first year I signed up for Airtable, I later found out once I started working there, I like queried the database and figured out I was like user 2000 of like Airtable, Airtable. Um, so used it a lot actually for personal use cases like Quantify itself, like tracking my runs, tracking headaches, health stuff. And I never thought about the collaborative aspect, which is obviously where like most of the value add is. Um, so I worked five years as a software engineer at Tableau and then I, um, joined Airtable afterwards. And in the last year since I've left Airtable, I've been working mostly in the space around climate and clean energy companies. So I run a job board for software engineers looking into climate tech. I do some advising for founders. So it turns out a lot of these, if you're a founder and you're doing like very hardware heavy company, you actually have a lot of operational needs that um, should be done using low code in Airtable. So I've been helping founders with that as well. Cool. Nice. Um, yeah, I have not been using Airtable quite as long as Steven. He's a little bit more, uh, you know, more OG Airtable than I am. Uh, but I started using Airtable in uh, probably 2019. Before that, I was a yeah, software engineer at um, Salesforce and then Facebook and then uh, Airbnb and then Airtable. So I guess Steven's only doing table companies, I guess, in the last like five years, I'm only doing air companies because it was Airbnb and then Airtable. Um, so yeah, while I was at Airtable, I was um, a software engineer on the growth team. I uh, had a lot of fun, learned a ton from the people who, who worked there. Uh, it's a really, really awesome group of people to work with. Um, and since leaving, um, I have been working on a couple different things. I uh, run a website for real estate investors to help them kind of like analyze deals. Um, I help some real estate uh, folks manage their portfolios using low code and, and no code tools like Airtable. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Stephen and I have also been doing some uh, some low and no code work with uh, folks in different industries. I think the main ones have been um, real estate teams, uh, yeah, venture capital folks, uh, and then um, some like charitable organizations who are um, uh, managing their their giving. Um, and yeah, that's kind of been been my journey. And you've been out of Airtable about the same time, about a year. 
Yep. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, just about a year. And Stephen, what team were you on at Airtable? Yeah, I did three teams. So when I first joined, uh, there was only 20 engineers and they were like, or understaffed in the core product team. So this was the time where Airtable was like really focusing on blocks or formerly, formerly known as blocks, right? Yeah. Now it's extensions and apps in between. Um, so the feature I was working on actually was getting rich text out the door, which, you know, it still hasn't really, as far as I can tell, when you create a text column, right, it's not default rich text, it's long text. And I can go into some of the complexities on why that is, but <laughs> worked on that. That was the first team I worked on. And then Airtable kind of in 2020 transitioned into like a, we need to like grow as much as possible. Um, and so I was on a sister team to Chris, which was called Activation. So we were trying to teach people how to use Airtable once they signed up, which is quite hard actually, because, um, you know, like how do you pitch such a complex uh, product, right? Uh, the, probably the biggest uh, two features I worked on was onboarding. So uh, if you sign up for a new account now, you'll have some of these pop-ups that will like guide you through how to use the base, um, some of the key features of the base. And then a probably bigger one was importing. So the very first version of importing when I joined was like, you can only upload CSVs. There was no type conversion. Everything was like a plain text column, I think. Um, and then we added type detection and then we added this like interface that, or not interface, a modal that pops up that lets you auto toggle some of these, uh, the types and stuff. And then the last uh, team I worked on was around, um, was a backend team around how to make Airtable support more records. So performance, like nothing that the customer would see. Cool. Camille, any questions? Well, I just want to say the, uh, improvements to importing, I think is probably one of the more unsung improvements in the you know past couple of years, just because it was originally, or at least from what I remember, importing CSVs was a, a then block, then app, now extension that you like open in a sidebar and it was not convenient. And fast forward to today where I build my, um, financial management system out of Airtable where I'm constantly uploading CSVs from my bank. I have four different accounts. So I'm every month I have four different CSVs to import and it is so much smoother now. So thank you for you and your team's very hard work in improving that. Glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So there's, there's things like that that are like an obvious improvement for end users. Like, yeah, of course, it's, it's easier to import your data into a database. Is there like a feature that you worked on, both you and Chris, that you're like, I'm not sure anyone noticed this great new thing that they added? Sometimes that happens. Uh, I'll start actually like that very first project, like Rich Text. Even today, you know, I'll help a friend or like some founder who's like, doing Airtable, we'll screen share, I'll like walk them through, through them stuff. And people still don't know that, you know, rich text exists. And then that's, that's one thing. But I'm, I'm uh, the other thing is like very, very few people know that rich text, you know, is actually a mini Google doc in the sense that it's collaborative real time. Like you can have 10 people typing in there, but you know, one of the things Airtable never prioritized um, shipping was like some sort of cursor that you could see you know, where people are typing. So I think that's probably part of it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it was a hackathon project a couple of us did a while back. And you know, the, when you get to a company at Airtable size and you have all these other initiatives going, I think it's just really hard to like figure out how to prioritize. So that was never shipped. But I would say collaborative rich text editing is, <laughs> is my vote. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. For me, a lot of the things I worked on were things that you would interact with before or in the process of signing up. So honestly, probably a lot of the stuff I worked on are things that uh, everybody has been through these flows, but kind of you don't go through them every day. So you don't necessarily uh, think about them as much. Um, But we're, you know, we're measuring metrics to make sure that we are successfully onboarding customers faster um, and, and all of that stuff. So I think yeah, the list is probably pretty long of things that were kind of um, maybe not readily noticeable to end users, but in the numbers, we could see that they were successfully getting people through these flows faster and into their Airtable bases faster. Um, so uh, things like, yeah, changes to the signup flow um, and, you know, onboarding flows where we have like, you know, experiment with different types of quizzes and, and questions that we ask um, so that we can feed that information into the system that Steven built that helps you onboard and gives you like, you know, a, a walkthrough of how to set up your first base. All of that stuff um, was, yeah, probably everyone's seen it uh, and probably doesn't quite remember exactly what it felt like. And let me just add one more comment to that. I think uh, it's worth noting, like the thing with onboarding is like the moment you've done it once, you're, you can't test that same user again, right? Like once you've seen a flow, it's really hard to get that beginner mindset or like completely beginner mindset again. I notice this all the time when I try SaaS apps, you know, for some of the things I'm doing and like, I'm just, I, I noticed afterwards, I'm like, Oh, did I actually, why did I skip that tutorial? Probably was useful. I don't know. I just skipped it. Cause it was like the unconscious thing I always do. I always skip the tutorial, right? Stuff like that. So it's actually quite a tricky thing to be on the other side, you know, trying to help people on board. Yeah. So I, my question for both of you is <clears throat> us on the other side and Camille and I are probably in the power user category and we talk with a lot of other, you know, probably power users and there's like lists out there of like feature fixes of just like the little things that need improvement. Like how did you as a team, teal. what's that? <laughs> I said teal again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that. <laughs> and um how did you like evaluate, how did you prioritize like the big picture, new things that, that you were moving to versus like fixing the little things, like filling in the cracks? Like how did, how did the team think about strategically product, you know, things to work on? Yeah, I'll start um, with the last team I was on. So this was a performance infrastructure team and that one, the mandate was actually pretty clear. It was like, where are our most valuable bases? Because we we were mostly supporting enterprise clients, right? The, the ones with big contracts. So it's like the base went down. Okay, well, why did it go down? Let's go fix that. Okay, so we need to be able to like have more of X, right? Whether that's like rows or linked records or whatever, or like prevent people from doing that in the future. So then the base won't crash or, you know, all of these things. So I think that was actually pretty straightforward, like, sort of just prioritizing what the largest enterprise customers wanted. And I'll tie back to my experience at Tableau. If you think about Tableau and Airtable, they're actually very similar surface areas. So Tableau's data visualization tool, right? You can import any database, CSV, whatever, and do charts with it. All these industries, like similar to Airtable, you know, cross-cutting industries, 
but Tableau had no self-service motion. So like you could not sign up for Tableau on your own. You always have to like talk to a salesperson and the product management, like feature prioritization function there was to boil it down simplistically, like what, what are the top asks, rank them by how much contract value are, and then just do those, right? Obviously there's some downsides there. Um, so I'll talk about the other two teams I was on were much more focused on like self-serve growth. And I understand like Airtable sort of departized some of that in the last couple of months. But back then, one of the things we had to balance was like, we want to, you know, get new users on board, but also like make old users happy. So, you know, we don't want old users to like die of a thousand paper cuts, right? So one thing I thought was pretty effective that we tried to later on was kind of have these weeks where you can just, we, I think we called them bug, ba bug bashes. So you can work on the bugs that you want. And we always had like a prioritized list. I would, you know, as like a lead on the team, I would like triage them. And then we just like go work through them for a week instead of building new features. Yeah. Yeah. Same on, on my team is yeah very similar. Like you kind of, you, you have these, these things that come in. The, the thing is every bug report that comes in, um, you know, the, the majority of, of bug reports that come in, especially in a tool as com complex as Airtable, um, it very often turns out that uh, you look at the bug report and you go, oh, actually, you know, uh, maybe this is like a misunderstanding of what the functionality is or uh, maybe, you know, and that doesn't mean that the fault is on the user. Sometimes that, that still is valuable for us to go, oh, like this explanation we had here is actually not very clear or um, the design here maybe should be iterated on. So those things are still valuable, but all of that stuff takes time, all of that triaging, investigation and triaging process. Uh, so once things make it through um, onto the, the engineering team's, uh, you know, onto the engineering team's uh, triage list, we generally are looking at a few factors. We're looking at how, how serious is this bug? Um, and that means like, is it critically preventing someone from doing something or is it like maybe a small visual detail um, and where on that spectrum does it fall? The other thing is we look at how many people is this affecting? Um, and you know, that, that matters. If it's a critical detail, if, if it's a critical bug for a flow, it doesn't matter how many people it's affecting, it needs to be fixed. But if it's a, something that maybe has a very straightforward workaround or, um, you know, is, is very much like, uh, you know, something that is just a, a minor inconvenience, then we, go to the next phase, which is like, how many, how many people is this affecting? Uh, and then the third thing is how long is this going to take for us to fix? Um, and how many, how, what kind of, you know, resourcing do we have to put into this? And then we, you know, we'll have some scoring formula on that, that lets us come up with uh, the, the prioritized list of, of bugs that we need to fix. And then, yeah, like Steven said, it basically, there's like, ongoing every week there's on, on all of these engineering teams, there's somebody who is like on, on call uh, and they're kind of responsible for triaging incoming bugs and um, investigating them and, and getting them prioritized. And that person might actually dedicate a lot of that week to fixing bugs um, that come in if, if they can. Uh, and then we will have these like bigger bug bashes where we say, everybody stop your feature work. We're all just going to fix bugs. And it's usually gamified. It's like, there's a leaderboard and we're seeing who can fix the most bugs and whoever does, you know, gets, uh, I don't know, Amazon gift card or, um, or something like that. Um, and yeah, but it's always a, always a challenge kind of yeah. balancing that technical debt with feature work that, that also has to be done. Um, but I will say Airtable takes the brand 
and the user experience really, really, really seriously. And um, they put like painstaking detail into making sure that, that the product is, is delightful to use. So they, um, compared to other companies I've been to, they really, really do pay a lot of attention to the bug reports that come in and do, I think, especially for a company of their size, they do a really good job of, um, of managing those things and, and making sure that they, they get responded to. But I know as a user, it can still be frustrating and feel like things are, are moving at a glacial pace. Uh, I've got, well, some, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say so, sometimes as a user, it's helpful to remember, like if, if the bug is like this field disappeared, that's what I'm experiencing as a user and you guys are investigating and you find, oh, it's actually this very, that's a side effect of a bunch of other stuff that I didn't see. That's part of the reason why some things take longer than others to get resolved. It's not that, you know, it's just been brushed on the rug. It's, you have to, you can't just treat the symptom. You have to treat the, you know, the whole thing holistically sometimes. Yeah. So Yeah, it's such know. a complex product. Yeah, yeah. Some of those investigations can be really involved because it's just such a complicated product and so many things interacting with each other. Um, so yeah, definitely. So one more question before we move on for me. So having looked under the hood, what's your confidence level for Airtable as a product in the future of Airtable? I am um, um, super bullish on Airtable still. Yeah, I think it's like such a such a strong product for what it does, and like uh, just I, I, I'm biased, I guess, because I'm I'm so familiar <laughs> with it. Like when I'm in Airtable, it's like being in my living room, right? Like it just is so comfortable. But um, when I go to to other tools, um, you know, they can be great for certain things, but uh, I think. Yeah, the design and the polish and the the attention to detail that I can kind of feel in the user experience of the of the product um, is is really uh, yeah for me a, a differentiator. Uh, Stephen, how do you feel? Yeah, I'll, I'll add on to that. I think um, just the product itself is really good. Like one of the reasons I joined Airtable as an engineer back in 2019 was they had a super strong engineering team, right? Like under the hood, looking at the code base. And that, that comes from top down. Like I think the, the, the co-founders, the technical co-founders especially really emphasize that. Um, my caveat would be, I don't, you know, a lot of these things aren't about um, like whether a company becomes like a hundred billion dollar company or a $10 billion company or whatever, right? A lot of it doesn't have anything to do with the product itself. It's like, can you sell it? Do you have the distribution channels? I mean, the classic example, we always talked about both at Airtable and Tableau was Slack, right? Basically superior product teams, but Microsoft could just distribute it for free. Same thing happened at Tableau. There was Power BI, which is basically distributed for free by Microsoft. And I don't think it like ate Tableau's lunch, but it definitely like forced Tableau in a position where they, you know, offer to get acquired by Salesforce instead of continuing being its own company. So that's the part I don't know about. And that's the question mark for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Cool. Thank you both, Chris and Steven. And it's always awesome to, to hear those insights. Uh, if you want to get uh, whichever one is going to share your screen, if you want to get that ready, we will move on. Awesome. And it sounds like, and just quick shout out so they can find you uh, workflowwizards.co. It looks like that's what you guys are spending some of your time on today. 
Yeah. Yep. So one of the things that we've been working on recently is, um, you know, we've been doing uh, builds for folks in different industries. Um, and like I mentioned before, they've been uh, the industries that we've kind of had the most focus on are like real estate teams. Uh, so like teams of real estate agents um, and helping their operations um, kind of really get dialed in using Airtable and other no-code tools. Um, venture capital firms that have, you know, funds that they're trying to, to manage and um, all of these different investments and reports that they need to send out. Uh, and then some, some charitable giving organizations who are tracking their, um, you know, their, their giving in their portfolios. So what I'm going to show today is a feature that we built for, um, for real estate teams that I think is probably hopefully very applicable to a lot of other, um, businesses and, and verticals too. Um, so I will go ahead and. And it's good. We've got Camille on Camille's nickname is the calendar queen. So she, she's oh, doing awesome. things in this world as well. I, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> I will provide insight if I can. <laughs> I would love insight. Yeah. Um, awesome. Let me, uh, let's see. Oh, you know what? I have to. Yeah, you might have to enable permissions. Yeah, I have to enable permissions. Do I need to leave and join again? You might or have to. I believe yeah, you really do. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, let me see. Okay, I will be right back, guys. I'm so sorry yep. about that. No worries. Happens all the time. Now we can. You can keep asking me Airtable questions if you want. Yeah. No, I was just kidding. <laughs> Will it ever get to millions of records? Is that how big of an obstacle is that to increase the record size? Uh, not, I can't say too much, but I'll say that that's definitely, you know, that's like one of the leadership definitely has had that as a one of the goals. Um, I can't say like what, what the time right, right, right. is. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But okay. it is possible from a technical. I think anything's possible from a technical point of view. It's just a yeah. matter of like how much time can you dedicate to, to right. do it, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, sorry about that. So, um, yeah. So the the thing that we're like our, one of our overarching themes that we try to apply when we're um, working with clients is we want to make it so that they can do as much stuff. Um, outside of Airtable as possible and pull that information into Airtable, right? And the reason for that is imagine an operations person on a real estate team, they need to get all of their real estate agents to adopt this new system. And realistically, they just are like, it's like good luck getting real estate agents to log into Airtable every day and mark their tasks as done. Or when a closing date uh, got moved from Monday to Friday, they're not going to go into Airtable and those things updated. So, um, you know, to solve this problem and to help them be able to keep people compliant with the system and improve adoption, uh, we try to do these things where we let people take action in the tools that they're more comfortable with. And then we sync that information between um, between that comfortable space for, for the end user and Airtable, which is kind of the, um, the main point for, um, you know, for the, the operations person. So... What I'll show here is, let's see, can you guys see my screen? Yeah. Awesome. So 
we have um, we've set up this thing. We call it like it's like a task manager, right? So this is where an operations person will go in and they will create all of their tasks for um, for the um, for the team for a particular deal. And we have this. They can mark certain tasks as having a calendar invite. And when something has a calendar invite, obviously, we create a calendar invite. We put it on the calendar of the task owner. Um, and then we allow the task owner to change that calendar invite and those changes will reflect in Airtable. And similarly, the ops person can make changes in Airtable and that will reflect in the calendar invite. Um, now, if I switch tabs, is it going to... It, depend, it looks like you only shared the one tab. So let's see, let me go ahead share and, the window. and improve that, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, let's see. Chrome tab window. Yeah, there we go. Um, great. Oh. Yeah, that was me. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> there we no, go. Awesome. Um, so, in here, what you'll notice is uh, let me go ahead and hop to. Um, Let's see, the operations calendar. You'll notice that we have a calendar event here um, for this closing date, right? Um, and so again, this is on June 8th. I can go ahead in here um, and change this to the 9th. And you'll notice after a couple of seconds, this will get synced from, uh, this will get moved from the 8th to the 9th. Um, this is the right deal. Yep, there it goes. So eighth to the ninth. And similarly, I could do the same thing. I could move, move this over on my calendar, send the invite, and it'll get synced into Airtable. So in just a second, you'll see this go from the ninth to the eighth. So basically what this sync does is it's it's three pieces, right? So first off, when a calendar or when a task gets created, we need to create the calendar invite and link the Airtable record to the calendar event. Um, Secondly, when the record gets updated in Airtable, we need to propagate that change to the calendar event. And then third, if the calendar event changes, then we need to propagate that change into Airtable. Um, now, I'm guessing most of the audience is probably comfortable setting up these kind of automations in Airtable. The one thing that we found for this that was like kind of a gotcha is the whole point here is that this Glenn Franklin, who, you know, this is the task owner. So this isn't, um, this isn't the event owner because the event owner is whichever, like, it's the same account that is connected to the Airtable automation that's always sending out these invites. And then it's adding the task owner as an attendee. Um, does that make sense so far? Um, so the thing is Airtable, when you create Google Calendar events with Airtable, you can't, or as far as I'm aware, you can't create them in a way that gives the attendees permission to edit the event. Um, but we need him to be able to edit the event because again, I want my real estate agent to be able to manage his calendar and have those changes propagate to Airtable. So for that, what we have is we have this Zapier integration um, when we have to do this through Zapier because the Zapier Google Calendar um, uh, integration is, is a little bit more 
uh, flexible there. Uh, I won't go through all of the configuration, but um, but yeah, this is essentially the the behavior that we have. And then similarly, again, like kind of leaning into that idea of letting people work where they're comfortable already working. Um, we will add these call to actions in emails and in calendar events. So if they want to mark this task as done, again, I kind of know that this, this real estate agent is probably not going to log into Airtable on their phone and like go mark the task as done uh, in an Airtable base. So we use hooks um, and hooks are just, you know, they can click this link. It will send a get request to this Zapier hook. And then I have a, you know, a Zapier automation that is, uh, or a Zap that is listening to that hook and updating the record. So I'll say click here to mark this task is done. And if they click this, Google's gonna warn me. And then there it goes. So it gets, gets marked as done. So our goal is to kind of let people take as much action outside of Airtable as possible. And then just have Airtable be kind of the central glue that's pulling all of these different um, systems that they're comfortable with together. Um, yeah, happy to talk about any further details on that, but I don't want to get so in the weeds that, uh, that it's not helpful. Gotcha. So the syncing's happening with Zapier. Yeah, Zapier. So we have, yeah, I, I do prefer to use Airtable automations whenever I can just for, you know, billing purposes and, um, like it's just a little bit cleaner that way. So the only one that's done through Zapier is the calendar event creation. And that's because I need to create the calendar event uh, in a way that gives attendees edit permissions, which I can't do with the Airtable calendar integration. Uh, the other two, so updating the calendar event when the Airtable record changes and vice versa, those are done through like native Airtable automations. Awesome. So this so is a really quickly, good example. I, point, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to point out that, um, you know, you could use an Airtable calendars, iCal sync feature, and that will, you know, get it to appear in your, your Google calendar or your um, Microsoft calendar. But those are extraordinarily slow. I don't think it's an Airtable problem. I think it's an iCal problem just in general. Also, services like these are very important if you need things to update, you know, quickly. Um, my goodness, working working with some of the limitations of um, iCal syncing in general is not, not fun. So I appreciate this being built. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's, um, and it's always a little bit of patchwork trying to sync these different systems together with no code tools because I feel like there's always some edge case that like, oh man, that doesn't quite work the way I want. Um, you know, another example of this is like Zapier hooks. You notice when I clicked this link for the hook, it just gave me this like ugly looking JSON response, right? And like, mm -hmm. it works, it does the job, but it's not the most delightful user experience. Um, an alternative here is you could use make um, and you can, with make, you can send back like a custom HTML response so that you could give them something a little bit more um, you know, pretty to look at, uh, like a little bit better to interact with, but this gets the job done and keeps clients from having to pay for yet another, um, you know, monthly license. Yeah.
That was going to be my question because I know you can do that in Make, and I was wondering if you can do that in Zapier, if you can customize the webhook response. If you can, I would love to know how. I have not seen a good way to do that, um, mm -hmm. but if there is a way to do that, that would be really, really awesome. Yeah, I, I don't believe so. Well, yeah, it's, it's too bad. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Chris, for sharing that. And that's a good example of the types of uh, applications that Chris and Steven can, can help build for you. So check them out at workflowwizards.co. And thank you for, for being on the show. Quick shout out to joining our community. If you aren't in our community, we'd love to have you at builtonair.com slash join. That will get you in the Slack community and join our newsletter and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, Camille, we could, we've got a few minutes. Do you want to go or do you want, do you want to hold off till next time? I can do it. Okay, we'll do it. Camille's going to power through on automations. Um, are we, am I sharing right now? Yep. Yep. Okay. So really quickly, I was going to walk through a pretty simple use case for the new repeater action in, um, automations. I've set up a, a simple base that kind of mimics a use case I came across recently where we had multiple versions of a particular thing. And, um, you know, you work on one, it's under consideration, you work on an alternate version, you have a couple of different options for whatever, whatever it is. And at one point, you're going to pick one of these options for 2023 as the final or the official. And then someone wanted all of the other ones that weren't chosen to be marked as archived. You could do that with a formula, I guess, if you're, you could do it with a linked records and rollups if plan year was a link to another table, but this is actually um, a decent use case for implementing a repeater action as opposed to using an automation script, which would be in this case, a little bit overkill. So we have two single selects to sort of pay attention to really quickly walking through what this automation is doing. I'm trying to archive everything that wasn't marked as um, final. So when something is given the status of final in my table, I want to use a find record step to find anything else in that table with the same plan year and that isn't already marked as final and isn't already marked as archived. And then we get to use the repeater action. So there are two different types of groups in uh, automations. You can have one that is uh, conditional. So if this uh, condition is met, do this, otherwise do this, otherwise do this, or you can have repeaters. You can't use both in one automation, um, but for repeaters, what you do is you feed it an input list. In this case, the list of records that I found, anything that is the same year and isn't already marked as archive. And then whatever you put within this group is going to repeat for any item in that list. So um, I'm saying update a record in table one. If I modify this token, you'll see the interface I'm given, the current item in the list. So as it's iterating, update this record. Okay, then move on to the next one, update that record, pulling in that record ID. And then I'm simply marking the status as archive. So if I turn this automation on and I say version four is the one I wanna mark as final. Hopefully, yeah, as you can see, sort of one by one, 
everything got updated as archive and it didn't include the 2024 versions, which is what I wanted. So again, this is much simpler uh, to set up and more easier to understand than using an automation script where I might query the table and say, okay, give me all of these record, records and then you know do update records async and then have to deal with the 50 uh, record limit per uh, operation call. This is pretty simple to set up. Um, and I think a, a decent example of how you might be able to use the repeater action in conjunction with find records. Now you can have more than one action in here. So I could keep going and have even more complex rules if I wanted to, but that was just a little precursor of how to implement the list. You don't have to use find records. You can provide it any array, um, but I think most people are probably going to be using the find record step as the source of their list. Now I do want to uh, point out that the find record step can only find up to 100 records. So if you know that your list is possibly going to be larger than 100, you're going to want to use some other uh, source that might be a, an automation script because that can pass any length of array. So that's it. Yeah, and this also saves the alternative would be to have a trigger on the list of records um, mm -hmm. table, but then you'd run one for every individual. <laughs> um, I do want to show really quickly that it's also very nice from a reviewing standpoint and run history. Like if one of those failed for whatever reason, I'd be able to look at my run history for that trigger. And then I can see each item that was iterated over and whether or not it succeeded or failed. So if I wanted to see more information on that one specifically, I could take a look at it. So does that imply the fact that they're not in order, that they actually don't run in order? Correct. So I have found that just in general, the, the order of the array, I'm, I'm unsure whether or not it's consistent because the find record step isn't sorted in any way. It's just take all this information. If I fed it a view, I think the array is ordered properly, but I'm unsure if the repeat is done in order because I they're done asynchronous, asynchronously, I think. So that should be one after another, but I'm unsure if, yeah, they even they actually even tell you it, it may run in a different order. Why, I wonder. I wish it didn't, but so far it, it's fine, I guess. Uh, I can add a little commentary there. So Ooh. part of the reason you see some of this like complexity around ordering is that sorting a view is actually very expensive computationally, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you have 50,000 records, it's a lot of data and compute to, to sort it. And we've done a bunch of, or Airtable has done a bunch of optimizations on it in the past, but um, probably in this case, it was like, you know, for performance reason to, to not sure. have the order. Um, and then if you're ever confused about an order, if you're like, this is always ordered in some way, but I don't know what it is. The answer is probably the first grid view in your view list. That's like usually the, that is true. the default. Yes. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Thank you, Camille, for sharing that insight. And Steven and Chris, thank you again for coming on. We love your insights. Um, we'll try to have you back on in the future. And excited to see what you all work on next. Awesome. Thank you so much Thanks for having, having us. us. It was really, really great to chat with you guys.
Yep. Of course. Take care. And we will see everybody that's going to Dare Table next week. Oh, and we'll do our live show from then. So we won't see you on Tuesday. We'll see you Wednesday or Thursday. See you all. for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor on and we will see you next time on the Built on Air podcast. <laughs>